All right. If you love Jesus, say I do. If you believe that he is king and Lord and rules and reigns forever and ever, say he does. If you want to follow him with all of your heart and life, say I do. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful that you guys have come. We're really excited about uh, you guys and what you guys are going to do this year. And so we've got just a little bit of time left. Let's pray together and let's go after this with all that we have. Jesus, we gladly come before you. We ask, Lord Jesus, as we've come session after session after session to put our cold, dull hearts before the fiery eyes of Jesus. We ask, Lord Jesus, that one more time, would you stir us up to live like Christ followers? We pray, Lord Jesus, for your presence. We pray for your spirit. We pray for your power. We want the fullness, God, of what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, remember being uh, in about the fifth, sixth grade when um, we had a a band come to my church. And I grew up in a really conservative church. My dad was the pastor. And I remember sitting on the front pew as this rock and roll band came to our little church. And I'll never forget him telling his story, uh, the lead guitarist. He was about 21 or 22 years old. And they were the kind of this young rock band and worship and Christian and all that really didn't make sense back when I was a kid, but it was all kind of starting. And I remember this guy had like uh, you know, like the long, he had like cl- short hair and then he had like the tail, you know, like the late eighties. I don't think you remember that, but there was like, you know, like the little bit of hair right here that went all the way down to the back. And, and, uh, he was, you know, playing his electric guitar just down front and he was super uber cool. And, and then he stopped and he told his story and he told his story about how during his teen years he had rebelled against God and he had done his own thing and he had partied and that then God had saved him. And, and I remember that everybody liked him when, before. But after he told the story, the testimony, everybody loved him. And he went from being kind of like kind of cool to like really cool. And I just remember everybody thinking it was so exciting that this guy had a story. He had this story of how he was so messed up and so far and so far from God. And he was this partier and he was godless and he was horrible. And then Jesus saved him. And it's like that moment when he said, and Jesus saved me. It's like all the people in our little church just erupted with, yes, isn't it amazing that Jesus can save someone like you, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I remember just thinking, wow, wow, he's got a great story. And my fifth grade, sixth grade brain was trying to just figure out how all this worked. And in my fifth or sixth grade logic, I thought, wow, if I want to be celebrated, if I want to have a cool story, if I want to have a cool teen story, then I need to go sin. Because then I'll come back to God and everybody will be like, oh, oh, oh you've been, whoa. And God will get more glory. And I remember kind of having confusion about how all that works. In fact, I remember my dad as the pastor, he, was celebra- he would celebrate this man who attended our church and, and this one guy was, had, had been to jail and he had now come out of jail and we, would, you know, we were thankful for most of the men in our church, but we were extra thankful for this man. And somehow we, he got to come down front and people would talk about him. They'd be like, you know, this guy's a Christian, this guy's a believer, and this guy's a Christian. But this guy, and they talk about him and they say, this guy was in jail and now he's a Christ follower. He's, a, he's, he's saved. And I was like, oh, I, 
got to go to jail if I want to have a great story. But I remember just thinking, what, what is this whole thing about what is this whole thing about this season of life where these people were far from God and then came back? And I don't know if you remember, but the very first night we talked about encountering Jesus and how, no matter how weak or how broken you are, no matter how messed up, Jesus heals us and saves us and he sets us free. And through his grace and his loving kindness, he, and we talked about all how Jesus saves us and redeems us. And I love that story. And I began to think that maybe I needed to pursue and drink the deepest cup of sin because maybe somehow, maybe somehow that was the story to have. I couldn't quite understand, couldn't quite understand how that brought Jesus more glory or if it did, I couldn't quite understand it. And so in my kind of confusion, in my kind of wondering, I, I began to be nervous about, I wonder what my teenage years would be like because I had heard people talk about these, this crazy mysterious season called the teen years. In fact, I remember my, my sisters and I were triplets and I remember uh, conversations with people and my dad would I- introduce us to people and he'd be like, this is David, Dana, and Deborah." And they'd be like, oh, wow, are the girls twins? And he'd be like, no, they're triplets. I'm like, why is the boy so small? And he's like, that's just the way they are. And then, and then he'd, he'd say, so they're all the same age. And he'd say, yeah, they're all the same age. And then there was always this phrase, oh my, the teen years are coming. And they'd look at my dad with fear and trembling and be like, I'm so sorry. May God be close to you. I can't imagine three teenagers at the same time. I just remember there was this mystery, this, this mysteriousness about being a teenager. And what, what exactly did these teen years, what, did, what, what, were, they, what were they gonna be like? I mean, I knew that everybody pitied teenagers because they were in puberty. And everybody just kind of treated them differently like, oh dear me, <sighs> the hard years, you know? They're in puberty. Dear God, let's protect them. Surely, surely these are the impossible years. And in my church, I mean, all the kids, you know, had regular like Sunday school and we had to do Bible memory and that kind of stuff. But when you got to your teen years, then all of a sudden you got this big party and all of a sudden it was an entirely different culture where it was like all these, I mean, like there was, you, you got to go and have pizza every Wednesday night and you would pop balloons with your butt. It was mostly just about, you know, chubby bunny and trying to like, it was just like trying to keep these poor half children, half grown ups, just try to keep them busy because after all, we got to pity the poor teenagers because they're in puberty. Now, I remember as a 12 year old beginning to think about, I wonder what my story is going to be. I wonder what it's going to be like as I venture into these teen years. I mean, I just remember thinking because I, I remember wrestling with it because deep in my heart, I, I had in my brain, I had two thoughts. I had one, I really wanted a cool story. I really did. I wanted, I just wanted to do something awesome for God. I mean, I just, I, I wanted to be, I wanted the God thing. And I wanted, to, I wanted to have stories about what God was doing and God's activity. And yet I was confused because I, I heard most of the celebration was if you were partying and all that, and then you came back to God, then you were, then that was, that was the good story. And I couldn't kind of figure out how those two went together. I was trying to figure out what, 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 are, what are my teen years supposed to look like? It's interesting because for me, the last 17 years, I've been working with internships in some way or another. And so I've worked with pretty much young 20-somethings. And one of the things that I've noticed 
It says, I work with 20-somethings. I've noticed how much their 20s are impacted by the choices that they made in their teen years. In other words, their teen story, the choices that they made in their teen years impact where they're at in their 20s. So if they made choices of immorality, all the soul ties and the addictions are trying to get them set free in their 20s. The relationships, the addiction, the wasted time. And so the reality is, is that you are in these precious years. As you're developing your teen story and you're going to have a story. You're going to have one shot at being a teenager and you are going to have a story. And your choices are going to dictate the kind of story that you'll have. Tonight, I just want to talk about what's your teen story going to be. I just want you to look at how are you going to spend these teen years? What's it going to look like? What's the legacy of your teen years ultimately going to be? I mean, when you wake up on your 20th birthday, who are you? I just want you to picture it. Turn 20 years old. It's the end of your teen years. Who are you? Go ahead, just close your eyes. Picture yourself. You're turning 20. It's your birthday. Waking up. And who are you? Where are you? Where do you want to be? What are the stories that you have in your hip pocket? How have you lived? Have you spent time with God? Do you know him? Is the word of God alive in your heart? Is that part of what you imagine? Have you so encountered God that, that you, and so spent time with him that you're, that you're close to him, that you're his friend? Are you a dynamic in the place of prayer? Where are you at in terms of purity and righteousness? You're 20. You got one shot. Who are you? You're 20 years old. Where do you want to be? Not where did you just kind of end up, but let's be intentional tonight. Where do you want to be? Are you fulfilling God's call in your life? Are you close to what God wants you to be? Here's the deal. As you look at your teen years, you're either, you're going to be tempted. The great temptation for you will be to rebel in your teen years. And so we've got, in church culture, we've got lots of things where we try to just keep you busy. Even in American culture, just try to keep you busy. Because after all, people look at you and they're like, oh, dear me, these poor kids. And so we've got all this stuff for you to do. Perpetual events, constant sports, constant recreation. You're marketed by the media to collect your dollars. They know that you've, that you've got dollars, but you've got free time. So you've got all kinds of people invading from MTV to websites to, to clothing lines and targeting you. And they're after you and you're, the choices that you make in your teens will impact your 20s. And that's how it works in our lives. The, as we, the choices that we make in our teens impact our 20s. The choices that we make in our 20s impact our 30s. Our 30s, our 40s, and so on. And so I'm looking at you, and I'm asking you, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be when you turn 20? 
The temptation will be, the temptation will be, the enemy's gonna come after you strong and be like, go ahead, rebel your teen years. Just rebel, you know? Live for self. Go ahead and pursue whatever means you desire. Live without restraint. Live for yourself. That'll be a temptation for you. And I know that's crazy to say at the desperation conference where we worship, where we jump up and down. But let me tell you, in this room, there is a strong temptation for every one of us, no matter how close you are, no matter where you are at with God, the enemy's coming after you and he wants you to rebel. Temptation, come your way. Will you be a prodigal? Will you run far from God? Some of you won't so much be tempted to kind of live in rebellion. Here's where many of you will be tempted to live. To just waste your teen years. To just waste them. Spend years just hanging out, laying on the couch, making decent grades, getting by. Who cares? I'm too cool. I could care less. What's up? Don't annoy me. I'm fly, I'm cool, I'm, I'm me. I, I don't need to engage. I don't need to try. This will be a huge temptation. In fact, in fact, this is the norm. I hate to say it, but in, in our culture, in our generation, this is actually normal. Wasting these years. Because, I mean, really the truth is, is that you're only gonna walk across the stage one time at your commencement and you look back at your high school years. You got one chance. You got one chance for them to come to know Jesus. You got one chance to be a light. You got one chance to lead prayer meetings. You got one chance to proclaim the gospel. You got one chance. And you're living in an, an environment on a public school or a Christian school even where you're gonna go a different direction than all those other kids. You got one chance to develop your teen story. You're gonna have a teen story. As you go into your 20s, you're gonna have a story about who you were in your teen years. So some of you, it's gonna be easy for you to go, forget it, I'm gonna rebel my teen years. Temptation for most of you will be to just waste your teen years. Sleep in and go, well, it's the way that the culture is. And if you compare yourself to other people, you feel good about yourself. But if you compare yourself to Jesus and what he's called you to, it's very different than comparing yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to others. Ask the question, what has Jesus called you to be? Tonight, I'm inviting you to consider not rebelling your teen years, not wasting your teen years, but to tithe your teen years. That's where I'm going tonight. I wanna invite you to tithe your teen years. And here's what I mean by that. All right, what percent is a tithe? Say it, say it like you mean it. 10, all right, 10% is a tithe, all right? So the, the idea of tithe is that we take 10%, all right, and we give it to God. And the tithe was meant to be set apart. It was consecrated. It was not to be touched. It was holy the Lord's. And so a tithe was the first and the best, and it was given to God. So all of it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God, but we give 10% back to God just to say, here you go, this is yours, God. My first and my best, I give to you. 
The reality is, is right now you are in pretty much the first decade of you being able to make choices on your own. I realized that when you were age one to 10, you were able to make some choices. You made little tiny choices like, you know, I don't know, should I eat pizza or cheeseburgers? No, you didn't get to make that choice normally, you know, like, I don't know, should I watch Barney or VeggieTales? I don't know what you picked in those years. But you had a couple choices that you were able to make. But in your teen years, you're starting to make lots of choices. And these choices will impact your life. And so here's where I'm going tonight. I believe that this is really the first, your first and your best. This is the first decade of choice making. This is the first decade where you really will enter into freedom. This is the decade where you're going to have the opportunity to make choice. It's your teen years. So tonight I'm going to invite you to tithe your teen years. In Psalm 90, it's a Psalm of Moses. He says this phrase. He says that we live for but 70, 80 years if we're lucky. That's what Psalm of Moses says, Psalm 90. And so I was reading this and thought, all right. So he says we we live for 70, maybe 80 years. I looked it up and the average life right now in America is about 79. So, all right, we're just going to call it, all right. We're going to take, we're going to call, we're going to just take this, the text, the scripture there where it says that the average life is 70 years. Let's just take that. And let's just take that and say, we're going to tithe, we're going to put, put a tithe of that. Let's take, what's, what's 10% of 70? Say it again. Seven. All right. How many teen years do we have? Seven. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do tonight. I want to invite you to tithe your teen years. I want to invite you to separate yourself for these seven years. And you say, hey, David, well, I'm already 15. All right, just take the next seven. All right, or just make it to 19. Just go with the last two you got, whatever. But especially if you're 12, I want to encourage you tonight. I want to look at these 12, or these uh, starting at age 12, seven years. These seven years, and I want to invite you to tie them. I want you to, I'm going to, this is, this is, there's, there's some things that we do before God that are because we have to, right? It's just God's word says it and I'm going to do it, right? There are things like that that are just, it's, that's just what we're supposed to do, okay? So like the Bible says, do not murder, all right? This is just a law. It's just a rule. You don't murder, all right? Okay. All right. So the Bible says, do not steal. All right. We don't do that. That's just law. That's just, okay. But then there are other people in the scripture that we see that massively please the heart of God that do something just because they love him extravagantly. Like the story that John Egan told the other night when he was talking about Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany came and it's the great story where she literally breaks the perfume and she just, she just breaks it. She's just, Mary just breaks it. She's here, I want to give extravagantly. And she just gladly gives all that she's got She didn't have to give that. She chose to. It was an extravagant gift, right? It was just, I love you so much. And I'm starting, it's that song we were singing, Unveil My Eyes. I'm starting to so see who you are that I wanna give more. I wanna give all. The temptation for us is to make this prayer. God, how little do I have to give and still make it into heaven? That's a death trap. That's horrible. Where we wanna live is not, how little do I have to give and make it and be okay? How little do I have to do? The whole aim of the Christian, the whole, the whole demeanor that we have is not how little, but God, how much? 
Not how little, but God, how much can I give? So tonight, this talk, the last night of desperation. This is not, let's talk bare minimums. Tonight, this is, let's give extravagantly. How much can we possibly give? How close can we possibly be? How much can we possibly hear? How close can you be? And this idea of tithing your teen years tonight, very somber, very serious, very real, because I'm not playing games with you. I don't want to, I, in fact, my, I, I'm hoping that not all of you come forward tonight because I want the, 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 the what I'm going to ask you to do tonight, is I want this, the, it to be so high that some of you go, I just, I can't do that. And, I, and that's fine. I want you to just, I want you to be real. I want you to be, but I'm looking for leaders tonight. I love that quote that we just saw about where John Wesley says, give me a hundred leaders who love only God and fear nothing but sin will change the world. You know, that whole concept. That's what I'm looking for tonight. I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for those that'll tithe teen years. 10% of 70 is seven. Imagine where you are on your 20th birthday. If let's just say you're 12 tonight and you've given 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you've given those seven years. You've given them all to God. And you've said, I am not, I am not, I'm going to go full throttle. I'm going to give everything to God. I'm going to live set apart, wholly consecrated unto the Lord. Imagine who you are when you wake up on your 20th birthday and you haven't wasted it. Your teen years were not the years that you just barely made it through. They're not the years that, hey, I made it. I, I, made, it, I made it through. I joined the Christian subculture and I did good things. I didn't rebel. Therefore, I made it. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something very different than that. I'm talking about standing on the other side, looking back at the last seven years, and you look and you see tangible fruit of a Godward life that massively impacted your own heart as a building block and as a foundation for the rest of your life and a generation. Everybody in your path, that there's a wake of impact from how you lived. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. I'm not talking about a theory. I'm talking about you pick the year, you say the year when you turn 20 and what's your teen story? What's the story that you have? You know what's interesting? We actually have a clue as to what Jesus was like as a teenager. There's only one place where we find in the gospels a little bit of revelation as to what Jesus was like between age zero and 30. We've got his birth, right? But then, and we've got then the baptism event where he kind of starts his ministry. We've got one spot where we read about him and it's when he's 12 years old. And I want to read that tonight. Luke chapter two. Here we go. Here's Jesus' teen story. We'll start in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, how old was he? How old? And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. 
So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Let me read that again. He's 12 years old. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Jesus responding to his mother, listen to this. Why did you seek me? Listen to this 12-year-old. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? (sighs) But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Now listen to this 12-year-old. I want you to get, I want to get into the heart of the teenager, Jesus. I mean, we sing these songs. I want to be like Jesus. I want to pray like Jesus. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want you to see something here. We've got a little window into the resolution in the heart of Jesus as a 12-year-old. See, when we think of teenager, we think, hey, dear me, let me, you know, spend a lot of time, wasting a lot of time on the internet. Let me watch lots of television. Let me just kind of make it through my my junior high and my high school years without joining the wrong crowd. And if I do that, I'm successful. But that is not at all what we see in the life of Jesus. What we see in the life of Jesus at 12 years old, I think we see a pretty fiery 12-year-old. I mean, this statement, he's not disrespectful to his mom. But do you hear the resolution in his heart right here? She asks him a question and he asks his mother a question back. (laughs) I mean, obviously it's not a sin because Jesus was sinless and perfect. And Jesus looks back at his mom. She says, where you been? And he says this. I mean, listen to this, listen to this. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? I mean, I can't, I mean, that's like, I'm 12. I mean, when I was 12, if, if my mom would have said that, I'd be like, I'm so sorry, what do you want me to do? You know, that kind of thing. Jesus, 12 years old, I, I mean, it's probably a high voice still. I must be about my father's business. But I can't. I I want you to get in this. I want you to get right here because he's not, he's not lingering. He's not wasting time. He's not hanging out. There's a resolution in his heart. I mean, he's hanging out in the temple, talking, going, let me tell you what I'm about. He's gaining. And then verse 52 says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. This is a focused 12 year old. I mean, Mary, hey, I'm so sorry. We're just, you know, we're just looking for you. (sighs) I love it. I must, that's strong language. I must not, not, well, I think, I think some opportunities might arise and I don't know, you know, who knows? I might be able to impact the world, you know? I am Jesus. You've got this, this, and it's a busyness. It's the language of busyness. It's this, it's, I must be about my father's 
business. It's this, I'm going to do the things of God. I've got something inside of me. I want to do God's stuff. I'm going to be about my father's business. It's not laid back. It's not chill. It's not like, hey, mom, pity me for the next seven years because I'm going to go through puberty and let's just hold our breath and maybe we can make it. Sign me up for every recreation. Let me watch lots of movies. Let me sit in front of the television. Let me just casually make it through high school. Let me just barely make it. Instead, what you've got is this guy who's 12 years old and he goes, I've got to be about my father's business. I must. He's got a resolution in his heart. Tonight, I'm looking for a resolution. Tonight, I'm looking for something inside of you that says, I've got one shot. I've got one shot at being a teenager. I'm going to have a story. And my story, my story is not that I'm going to be laissez-faire, chill, you know, the average American teenager. I'm asking you tonight to look straight at the heart of the next seven years and go, I must be about my father's business. I'm asking you tonight to get a resolution in your heart. It goes, being about the things of God far surpasses the wasting my life in an era where we're consumed with so many other things. Those things, ask the 20-somethings, that their lives are shattered and broken because they gave themselves to immorality, because they wasted those years. They'll look at you and with tears in their eyes, they'll, they'll say, don't do what I did. They'll say, give yourself to God fully in those years. They'll look to you and they'll say, if there's any wisdom that a 23-year-old would look at you, they would say, please, please, it's not, it's not cute. Sometimes we look at sin and we think, oh, it's just cute, you know. I'm going to dip my toe in immorality. I'm going to dip my toe in drunkenness. I'm going to dip my toe in some of these things. It's not cute. It's the enemy's tactic to ensnare you and to destroy you. And so I want to encourage you tonight, don't. Go there. Don't go into, well, I'm going to just kind of have half of, you know, half, one foot pursuing God, one foot in the world. No, I want to encourage you to not everything, all consecration the next seven years. Let me tell you this. In seven years, in seven years, if you will give yourself to, to being consecrated, I mean, fully the Lord's, you'll wake up at 20. You'll have a vibrant heart. You'll have had moments alone with God where you've experienced him, where you've written down what he said to you. Where you'll have seen that he actually cares about you and you'll have wept through the scriptures. Your Bible will be marked up with highlighters and pens and you'll have written down things that he said to you and you'll have a vibrant relationship with God. At 20, you'll wake up and you'll have led in the place of prayer and you won't have the questions of, I'm not sure if God is real and I'm not sure because you'll have stories about praying for people and 15 year olds pray for people and they hear and you'll have stories. You go, I got, I got a story. You can't persuade me. You'll be walking on a university campuses, not going, dear God, am I gonna give up on God and church because I can be persuaded? No, you give yourself to God in these seven years and live with all that you can, every, every, every attempt possible to live consecrated and holy, separate to God, learning and growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man, you'll wake up at your 20th birthday and you'll have a heart that's alive. You'll have stories about God moving and you will be resilient in your 20s. You will be powerful in your 20s. You'll be stepping into the fullness of what God has for you in your 20s. Instead of stepping into a, a, a spiritual hospital going, dear God, help me because I'm so made such poor choices as, as a 14 year old, as a 16 year old. Now I just need to barely start. Listen, I love the way that God heals us. 
I love the way that God picks us up. He lifts the face of the adulterous woman. He forgives the criminal on the cross. That's who he is. But his highest for you is for you to live set apart for him and him alone. That is the highest he has for you. So you can do the stories all day long, all day long that say, well, I intentionally chose to sin. And then, well, I went through a process, brokenness, and then I repented and God used my sin. And so that must have been God's will. Wrong. Not so. He tells us to choose holiness. He tells us to use righteousness. But because he loves you so much, he'll use all things for the good of those who love him. But you got to know he wants you to choose righteousness. He wants you to choose to follow him. He wants you to be protected from the snares of the enemy. And if you fall and you mess up, he will heal you and he will help you. And he will even use your story to help other people. But you got to know, you got to know he has a better plan. He wants you to walk in fullness of what he has for you. He's got a plan for you you to live consecrated, set apart, holy the Lord's. You've got a window of time where you're making choices that matter. In these seven years, you're making choices about your education. You're making choices about who and how you're going to date. You're making, so you're often making choices about if you're going to live in purity or if you're going to live in sexual immorality. You're setting habits in these days. You're deciding if you're going to live with a heart that honors your parents or not. You're kind of starting to develop how you're going to live fiscally and financially and how you're going to handle. These are years that are so pivotal. You're making choices right now. Imagine if on your 20th birthday... You've spent seven years, seven years. Imagine if you're a 20 year old and you commit tonight at 12, I'm gonna live holy. And let's just say that by the grace of God, you never get ensnared into pornography because you're so focused. Do you have any idea how far ahead you'll be than if you don't commit and you end up just entrenched in immorality? Do you have any clue about the blessing of God? Do you know that God wants you completely and he doesn't want to do, God hates those things because they destroy you. That's why he hates those things. He hates sin because it destroys you. One of my friends, one of the nicest guys ever, when I was, when he was engaged, I was a little bit younger than him and we were sitting over coffee one time. We were both uh, college students and he, the nicest guy, I mean, the nicest guy ever got ferocious about this cancer drive. And I was like, wow, why is, he, why is he so, I mean, this guy is excited about this cancer drive. Turns out as he tells me his whole story, his fiance died of cancer. And so this man is determined as a 25 year old, he was determined to do everything he could to try find a cure for cancer and try to destroy cancer. You know why he wants to destroy cancer? Because he hates the thing that destroyed his bride. He hates the, 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 he hates the very thing that was destroyed, the girl that he loved. He hates it. Why? Because cancer destroyed her. He's not evil for hating cancer. He's all good for hating cancer, right? Why does he hate it? Because it hurts the one that he loves. Your God loves you so much. He wants to destroy the thing that's destroying you. He wants to crush it. He wants to destroy the very thing that will destroy you. And so he wants you to choose to walk in righteousness and he doesn't want sin to defeat you and to destroy you. 
you got a window of time. These days, these are big years. You're going to make huge choices in these years. Imagine, I want you to imagine waking up on your 20th birthday and you have lived consecrated, set apart about your father's business. I mean, and I mean busy. I mean busy for God. I mean, you got a vision. You got a vision for your heart. You got a vision for a prayer movement. You got a vision to be holy and set apart. And you've got a vision to reach your school for nations around the world to help the poor heart work. You've got something bigger than yourself to live for. Imagine. I want to invite you tonight to consider just, I just want you to consider this vow that most of you took today. So we told you these stories and my passion is that you have stories because stories become like trophies. Stories become trophies that you go, people, the enemy comes against you and he brings accusation and you go, no, 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 I got this. I remember when God did this and you pull out that story and you stand it in faith, in faith and you go, you can't get me because I know that God did this. When you got stories of healings, when you got stories of being close to God, when you got stories of, of growing in the word of God, when you've got the Bible alive inside of you, when you've got the word of God stored up in your heart, it's just like you're conquering the enemy. So I wanna give, I wanna encourage you to do some of these four basic things. These four things, first, passion. You saw the story of Josh. I want to encourage you to live, to, to, to really consider spending time with God. And this is how I want to encourage you to tie these teen years. Start with this, what you commit to, passion. Live with passion for God. And the way that I think best, you can best do that, the way it starts is just spending time alone with God. So I want to encourage you to, 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 to create a time where you really spend time alone with Jesus. Don't just say theoretically, okay, I'm gonna do that. No, write it down, put a time and a place. Put the time that you're gonna put it, I mean, you go... Isn't it for old people to get a calendar? No, you get a calendar and you put on your calendar where, when and where you're gonna spend time with God, all right? And start it as a 12-year-old. You go, no, 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 no. Yeah, start, okay, 13, start at 13, but start it at 13 years old. Listen, I, I wanna tell you this. My dad required of us to start spending time with God when I was eight. And I wanna tell you, by the time that I was 12 and 13, it was part of our routine. It was part of, it was part of, it was just, it was part of the process. And I was learning the scripture and praying the scripture. If you'll start it at 12, 13, at 12 years old, if you'll commit and you'll start to really enjoy spending time with God. It'll be far more than just a commitment. It'll be a lifeline. It'll be a lifeline. So you could get a one-year Bible. That's a plan. There's lots of different ways to spend time with God. I, I, I just want to encourage you to do it. And sometimes when I've talked to people, they say, well, I don't know how to spend time with God. Okay, here's one way, write this down. I'll just tell you a way. It's not the way, it's a way. But you come before God and just, what I like to do is just take out a Bible, highlighters, all right, a journal, all right, so paper, and just set a time and a place and pick the right spot. Don't pick a place where there's a television on. Don't pick a place that's close to a, you know, where you've got your, turn your iPhone off. I mean, you get alone, you, you get away, all right? And I, for me, I don't like to, do the, to try to have a God time on a computer or, or an iPad or anything like that. I mean, old school, like 1950s, a notebook, all right, and a pen and a Bible, all right? And then 
just go ahead. And what I like to do is just write your name, just write your, the date and write, just start writing to God. And what I like to do is I just start with praise. Just start off just writing. God, and just, it's this song that we sang a minute ago. Tell just the names of God. God, you are holy, you are faithful, you are good, you are worthy, you are true. And here's what happens. As you start to just write down who God is in prayer, just writing it down as a prayer, all of the anxiety that you have about the things going on in your life that seem so big, they start to seem small. And the truth about who God is starts to become big. So you're worried, oh God, the girl in my fifth hour, she doesn't like me like I want her to. She's avoiding me. And so you start to feel like that's this really big deal. You know, and, and so you, you get up in the morning and you start to feel like that's really big. And then you go, you're faithful, you're holy, you're the creator, you created all things. Job 26 says that you, you just sneezed and created the heavens and the earth. I mean, you're all powerful, you're, you're merciful, you're loving, you redeemed humanity. And all of a sudden you're going, yeah, the girl in fifth hour, not that big of a deal. You're big, that's small, I get it, all right? So start off and just write out, just write names of God, who he is, all right? And then go into just thanksgiving. Just start to write what you can thank God for. God, I thank you for my mom and dad. God, I thank you for my school. God, I thank you. And here's what happens. As gratitude grows in your heart, you start to be authentically thankful. You might not feel it at all, but you start to say it and write it. You're, and then all of a sudden your emotions start to line up with truth. And if, you, if everything's falling apart in your life, then you just go with, I don't mean, thank you God that I got, you know, 10 fingers and 10 toes. I mean, whatever you got, you know, if you only, or if you only have nine fingers, thank God you got nine, you know, like what, what, just thank God for whatever you could thank him for. Thank him for your house. Thank him, thank him for what he's doing. If there's any movement of God doing anything in your life, you just thank him. You just, you praise him, then thank him. Then just start to write out, just start to write out anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that we're saying we want to be like. And a lot of times that's kind of ethereal and we're just kind of like, I don't know really what it means to feel. No, no, no. Look at the life of Jesus and go, where did I miss it? In the last 24 hours, where, where, have I, where have I not been like you? And just write it down. God, I should not have given justice that second bowl of ice cream. I am so sorry. Please, I repent. God, da, 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 da. And I just repent or whatever, okay? And you just, just, you just repent. You just, okay, God. And here's what happens. Then you've praised God, you've thanked God, you've, you've repented, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're in a place where you're gonna start to even love the scripture, get revelation. Then that, what I do is I just go through a little bit of the Bible. Now, you can, there's lots of different ways. For me, I like to take a little bit of text, read it, and then just pray it back to God. So what I'll do is I'll just write a response back to God. Just, I'll just write back, um, you know, if we were to take this text, Luke 2, 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. I just write back, God, I ask Lord Jesus that you would help me to grow in wisdom and st- stature. I've been praying that prayer my whole life, actually. But <coughs> God answers most prayers. All right. Favor with God. They're like, they don't know what stature means. Stature is height. Anyway, um, forget it. And just, and just, but just begin to pray that back to God. So you write down the scripture and then you just pray it back to God. All right. Just pray it back. Just pray, pray it back. Then I look at the next, look at the next 24 hours and go, okay, God, how do I live for you in the next 24 hours? I've got this test coming up. I've got football practice. This guy on the football team is a total punk to me. And how do I be like you to him? How do I, and just and I'm telling you, here's what will start to happen. You pick a time and a place and you have a plan. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a perfect plan. There's lots of different ways. I just, I just picked out one way just to show you that there is a way. There is ways to just spend time with God. 
you'll, your heart will start to expand in love for God and you will start to enjoy God more. You really will. And lots of people will look at you and go, oh, no, 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 don't be a legalist. Listen, I, I, that legalist term drives me insane. I, I, did you, this is my wife, Renata, right? Okay, now, if I do really kind things for Renata, like that I'm committed to doing, right? Like, let's just say that I go above and beyond and I give her flowers a lot, daily, week, month, occasionally. <laughs> let's, let's, just say, let's just say that I create a discipline where I'm going to intentionally do over and above kind things and I'm gonna make a plan and I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to say to Renata, hey, Renata, Friday night is our date night and it's set, locked in, right? Now, am I doing that? Am I doing that because I'm a legalist? Out of the overflow of love in my heart for Renata, I'm making a plan on how I can love her. I'm making a plan and I'm committing to it. Why? What? A lot of times we'll make, we'll, we'll come up away with a plan because we love so much. Out of the overflow of love, you'll make plans. You'll make a decision. So this isn't legalism. This is God, I love you so much. I want you so much. I don't want to wake up at 20 and not know God. I want to wake up at 20 and have walked with you and known you and been close to you. So make a plan. Even if it's 10 minutes, just make a plan to be alone with God, spend time with him, to know him. I want to encourage you, second one, the story about Udi was so powerful. I want to encourage you to live a life, seriously, in your teen years of intercession, of committing, gathering people together, standing in the place of prayer, being specific about what you're praying for, praying the Bible and watching God's hand intervene. For me, this took place when I was in ninth grade, in eighth grade, uh, we saw God do some, some really cool things. But then in ninth grade, we started the year that summer. We got together and we were talking, me and some of my friends. We were saying, we want to see God do something great in ninth grade. And so ninth grade, we talked to this shop teacher and we said, hey, can we use your room every day to pray before school starts, public junior high? He said, really? We said, yeah. So school started at 8.30. We said, can we, can, can we pray at eight o'clock? You'll have to, I know you'll have to be here earlier and you want me, but, but he had to be there and he had to open up his room, public school. And we just registered as any, like any other club and we just decided we were gonna come together and just pray together. And I remember in the ninth grade, five of us gathering on the first day of school. And throughout that year, we would go kind of up and down and how many people would come. But there were seasons of during that year where over 200 kids would gather at a public school every morning just to cry out and plead, God, have your way. And I remember kids coming to know Jesus I remember just stories of watching God move on my public junior high. I was recently uh, talking to a pastor and um, a lot of times when I, a lot of times I'll speak on the, the subject of prayer in local churches and, and this, this pastor said to me, he goes, man, you really like to talk about prayer. He goes, this was the phrase he said, when did you get a heart for prayer? And I thought about it and I said, Ninth grade, ninth grade. Because I saw ninth grade. I saw weak, broken, seventh, eighth, and ninth graders gathering together to pray. And I saw 
people learning instruments because they want to be worshipers that had never even thought about instruments before. And worship was the reason. And I saw salvations. I saw this little movement start to take place. So I'm not, I'm, I'm talking about, let's, let's, I'm talking about go for a prayer meeting and don't just, don't just write it off for someone else or, no, you, you lead. You be about your father's business. You ask God what he wants you to do and then just go there. Just, at, listen, just, just figure out a time and a place, same thing, time and a place. If you, one of the ways that we used to mobilize is at sea at the pole, uh, we would always just, you know, see at the pole was kind of an, an ironic day because where I grew up, there would be, you know, all of a sudden, like everybody was at sea at the pole. And it was just shocking to me. Like we'd show up for prayer day at sea at the pole and I'd look around and it was like, I didn't even know these people were saved. I didn't even know that they could even, you know, say Jesus, let alone, you know, know who he was, you know. And they show up at sea at the pole day. It's kind of like what Easter is at local churches across the country, you know, like everybody shows up junior high and high school at see at the pole day but we used to do on see at the pole day because we started to see the pattern and so at see at the pole day just make hey everybody we're meeting every single day in such and such a room or hey we're going to be right back here tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day unless you live in the north then you need to find somewhere in the gym you know but if you're in the south just keep it at the pole you know just have a plan just lead you'll watch 10th grade 11th grade 12th grade You'll, 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 you'll finish high school and go into your college years with a vision to lead people in the place of prayer because you've seen God do stuff. You've seen it. You've watched it. It's not just a song or a verse where you say, you know, ask and receive, seek and find, knock and the door will be open. You've lived it and you believe it. You've watched it. My senior year, we just, we, we, we'd kind of done it for a while. So we just started calling, you know, even other kids at other schools and we just met at a lake. We met, we'd meet at 6 a.m., you know, just cry out to God, pray for our city. I mean, the cops thought we were crazy. Bunch of teenagers at the lake on a school day at 6 a.m. It was awesome. Freaked everybody out. Just got my first ticket that way. Because 6 a.m. is early. I told the cop, I was like, I'm headed to a prayer meeting. He's like, yeah, right. I was like, no, seriously. Let me tell you this. If you'll give yourself, give yourself to leading in the place of prayer, Udi's story won't be just for a stage at a conference. This will be your story. You'll start to see people come to know Jesus and you'll go, only God could do that. Only God. And when a 16 year old gets a deep rooted conviction that God hears the prayers of the saints and that God answers the prayers of the saints, Watch out. That man or woman will change the world. Imagine it's you. Imagine you, 16, growing in that conviction. I want to encourage you. Lead in the place of prayer. Lead in the place of being consecrated, holy of the Lord's. I want to unashamedly encourage you. Just try fasting a day a week. You can do less, you can do a day a month, but have a plan. Have a plan on, on fasting. And you don't have to give up food. If you want to give up something else, you can give up Instagram, you can give up Facebook, you can give up vegetables, you can give up whatever you want to give up. But here's the deal. Give up something. 
Sacrifice something that means something to you and voluntarily forego it. And here's what happens when you fast, you're kind of saying, okay, God, open up my heart. Open up my heart. I want to have a greater capacity to walk with you and know you. And so what you're saying is, God, I love Starbucks. God, or whatever you're, fa- you're giving up, you're fasting. God, I love Chick-fil-A or God, I love ice cream or God, whatever it is that you're fat. God, I love Nintendo Duck Hunt or God, I love, you know, uh, whatever it is. I, whatever is the thing that you're gonna go without, all right? But here's what you're saying when you fast. You're saying, I love those physical things, but God, I love you more. And I desire you more than I desire those things. And so God, I choose. I'm gonna go without this. Here's what happens. When you fast, your heart starts to grow more tender. Your body's weaker, but your spirit's getting stronger. I'm telling you. Listen, I had a 12-year-old in my youth group who had, you know, parents that were like, ooh, ooh, don't don't tell our teenagers to fast. Fasting has got me in more trouble with parents than anything else. I mean, it's just unbelievable because we live in America and we think, hey, if we skip a meal, we're going to die. But I remember scared to death, encouraging this 12-year-old girl to fast. And she came to me and she said, I'm going to do a 21-day fast. And I started to get scared because her dad was huge. He's 5'9". Scared to death of him. And I remember this 12-year-old girl, she told me, she said, David, I'm going to fast for 21 days. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for my uncle to come to know Jesus because he's far from God. And I was like, are you sure? She's like, Yes. I was like, all right, scared to death. Her dad's gonna come find me. Never forget, she comes back after the Thanksgiving holiday, tears in her eyes, 12 years old, very skinny. <laughs> David, she said, uh, my uncle was with us for Thanksgiving and um, I got to lead him to the Lord. And... Do you know the lifestyle that's ahead of a young woman that at 12 years old is confident that God hears the prayers of the saints? Do you know the future? That young girl walked with God all of her teen years. That 12-year-old flourished as a teenager. She walked with God. She was close to God. Didn't get in relationships didn't mess her up. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't engage in dating. She just said, I'm gonna be holy to Lord's. Today, she's a, show my age. Today, she's a, a dynamic person helping with church planting. I'm just telling you this. You got a real future and your choices matter. And you're making these decisions. Imagine, imagine who you become. I felt like the Lord did this in my heart. I remember being at the University of Oklahoma my sophomore year of college and I was, uh, I was just, I was just, I was, I was kind of new to the fasting thing. Like, 
Uh, fasting wasn't a part of my regiment in junior high and high school, but I got around people right out of high school that loved fasting and they were talking about fasting. And so I, I started the whole fasting concept. I was pretty nervous about it first. And I, I decided I would start fasting. And so I started fasting on, on Tuesdays. That was just my day. And so I was going to fast on Tuesdays. And uh, I remember, I remember it was, it was probably about November of the school year. What I would do is I would always go find little cafes to go spend time with God. That was kind of my thing in that season. And I'd find these, I'd, I'd find these little cafes all over town. And I remember sitting at this cafe and I was just writing out my prayer to the Lord. And, and I just wrote out this prayer. I just said, God, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like I have a really anointed God time, solo time, quiet time, call it what you want, time alone with God, about once a week. Like most days, you know, it's just, it's good and it's, it's great. But about once a week, it's just pow. I mean, tears, you're speaking to me. I'm getting revelation. There's stuff going deep into my heart. About, about once a week. And I just, I just remember that. And, and then I, I just, for fun, went to just check that, that hypothesis, that thought. And I went back in my journal and I looked and, and I just started to circle the days that just were just, I mean, they had the, you know, the tear stained marks of revelation, God talking, oh, you know, God, you do love me after all moments. And I noticed it was, it was every Tuesday. And I just remember God just speaking to my heart that day. He was just saying, David, I want you to really see how much I value Fasting. I'm not telling you that it's a formula and I'm not telling you that that's been the case ever since. I'm just saying in that season, I experienced a tender heart supernaturally in in those seasons of fasting. And listen, we can take this Christianity thing and just kind of put it on the shelf and say, well, it's just kind of a part of who we are. Or we can say, I gotta be about my father's business. I gotta be about all. I wanna be about what he's doing. And we give ourselves to these things that where we intentionally forego stuff for the sake of God, for the sake of being who he's called us to be. I want to invite you. I don't care if you do it once a week, once a month. I don't care what you fast. I just want to encourage you. I just want you to give it a shot. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you fast. So Jesus wasn't, you know, saying if you fast. He said when you fast, because it was an assumption that was built in. When you fast, when you fast. Today, we kind of write it off as that's just for the super radicals. That's for the extremists. No, that's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Christianity 101 for us, for you. So I wanna invite you, I wanna encourage you. Give yourself, give it a shot. I wanna, I wanna encourage you to, and the last one is this. I wanna encourage you, mission. Unashamedly, I wanna invite you and ask you, to make your, to have a clear mission. Maybe it's, maybe it's that every single person in your junior high hears about Jesus. Maybe it's that there's prayer meetings on your campus. I don't know, but pick a mission. Maybe it has to do with even helping the poor, but have a mission, heart work, or taking the gospel home to home, or, or building your youth group, or starting your own ministry. It's one of the things I love. I just love it when a 14-year-old starts her own ministry. I just love it. She gets a logo, she gets a name, and she's passionate. She's mobilizing all her friends. It's amazing to me what happens. As I've just, I've been around youth ministry for 18 years and I've watched lots of cool things when youth pastors do stuff and they say, here's what we're gonna do. But you know one of the things that's really fun 
I've watched when a 16-year-old gets a vision and it's their vision and it's alive in their heart and they start to actually put a structure together and mobilize people and make a website and a logo and say, this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. And a little, a little youth movement starts to rise up in the little town or the little city and God starts to do stuff. People get ideas and the 15 year old goes, huh, what would happen if, um, what would happen if we invited all of our school? I, mean, I don't want to start telling stories. I'm gonna start spontaneously telling tons and tons of stories. But I've watched so many kids get a vision, not their own vision of what God wants them to do. And I love it. I love it because they start, it's, they own it. They go, God's called me. It's the, it, it could be the, the heart work concept or God's called me to help stop you know, sex trafficking and free slaves. And I got a vision to, to free a hundred slaves my junior year. And they got a vision and then they work on a plan on how they're gonna do it. And they're giving themselves to something Godward. And listen, if you will give yourself, if you'll be on mission, you will not be bored. You will not be bored and going, oh, I'm so sad. I'm so sulky, laying on the couch, watching movies, eating bonbons, chilling out. Because I'm so bored. Somebody provides some entertainment for me. I only have 150 channels and I've already played all the chubby bunny I can handle. And I'm just, I'm such a victim and you're a slug. And I want to encourage you. You get a mission. You get something that God bursts in your heart that you want to live for. You don't have to, you don't have to barely limp through your teen years. You don't have to barely make it. Listen, I love you, but I do not pity you. I don't pity you because you're in puberty. Are you kidding me? No, you're living in a season right now where your parents are paying for you to live. And you're living in a season right now where you've got a whole mission field where you could be reaching your campus. You're living in a season right now where you've got time to spend time alone with God. You're in a foundational season. This is a beautiful season. I don't pity you because you're in puberty. I think this is your finest opportunity. I think this is your greatest window. So I want to encourage you, get a mission. Figure out what it is. Figure out what it was. For me, my whole, my, my junior high and high school years were filled with, I just want to see my lost friends come to know Jesus. And I just, that's what I, that's what I was about. That's what I was for. Never forget, I came home, eighth grade. Dad, this kid, he's making fun of me. He's, he's, and he, I was horrible. Hated eighth grade. I was, I don't know, I'm the story. I'm already in it. I was this little tiny kid. I know, surprise, surprise. I was this little tiny kid and this guy, he was a free safety on the football team and it was hard. And he just loved to pick on me and he just did. He'd say stuff. I was, I was just, PE was like the worst hour of human history for me. It was, it was awful. And I came home eighth grade and said, dad, I, I don't want to go to school. I, hate, I can't stand this guy. I think I even said I hate him. My dad goes, well, what, what does Jesus tell us to do about the people we hate? Oh, That's how my dad was. It's always questions about Jesus. I was like, we're supposed to pray for him. It's like, well, maybe we should do that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry I told you. My dad, no, David, let's pray together. Oh, I don't want to pray for him. That's why you should. Please, Dad, no. I just, 
No, let's pray for him. Okay, you pray and I'll amen, you know. <laughs> as far as I can start. I showed up for ninth grade. We had six hours in our junior high and it was a pretty big school. And for you to have, you know, a class with one, you know, two classes with one person was kind of rare. If you had the same class with three people, you know, I mean, sorry, one, the same, three classes with the same person, that was extremely rare. I showed up for the first day of ninth grade and this kid was in three of my classes and one of them was PE, again. <laughs> and I came home after the first day of eighth, ninth grade and I was mad. And I was like, he's in three of my classes. And my dad was like, that's an answer to prayer. I said, dad, it's judgment. God hates me. So let's pray. I said, oh, God, that didn't work before. This is not the moment where I want to love my enemies. This is where I want to pray the Psalms where it says, crush the teeth of your enemy. He said, went back to school the next day. This guy had gotten his, uh, his schedule changed. Now he's in four of my classes. <laughs> Ninth grade. And the new class was drama. And within the second week, within the second week, we got an assignment from the teacher to do humorous duets. <laughs> and she stuck me with him. And she gave us the script. It was Abbott and Costello. It was horrible. I was like, I could never sing a Corey Asbury song like I'm God's favorite. He loves, I would be like, ah, I'm living in the depths of despair and pain and grief. God hates me. (laughs) December 3rd of that year, after a a football game, that kid stayed at my house. We became friends, gave his life to Jesus that night. And and I started to go, you know what? He he was the one that helped me like start prayer meetings. He became my best friend. And, um, and I just saw God do stuff. I just, I just, I just, I was just convinced God does stuff, even as teenagers. It's interesting. As Jesus approached the end, John chapter 17. (sighs) Last prayer. He's coming to the cross. He's about to embrace the cross. And Jesus prays in John 17 for something that is just mind baffling to me. He looks at his father and he says, I have finished the work. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now just listen to that. I finished the work. What you've called me to do, I finished it. Imagine in Jesus, imagine when he's feeling, he's about to embrace the cross, he's about to be whipped, he's about to do, to go through what we saw or worse than what we saw on Thursday, on Wednesday night. But you can imagine the anguish. I mean, here he has gone through 33 years And he comes to this moment and he looks to his father and he's praying, Jesus, the son, praying to the father. He goes, I have finished the work you've called me to do. 
Can you imagine? The last night of being 19 years old. Your teen years. You're about to turn 20. And you got a vision for what God called you to do in your teen years when you were 12, when you were 13, when you were 14. Imagine. It's the night before your birthday. And you look back at your teen years. I finished. God, I finished the work. I've been faithful. I finished what you've called me to do. When Jesus prays this prayer, do you think, do you think he's going back? I think he's going back to just maybe, maybe the work was, maybe the work was kind of, you know, about the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Oh yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it was earlier. You think the work was, well, let's go a little bit. Maybe it was that, that Sermon on the Mount. I mean, come on. Matthew 5, 6 and 7. That was some good preaching, Jesus. That was good. No, I think it was earlier. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe it was the baptism event. Maybe it was when, you know, the, the father says, this is my son and my love. Maybe that's the moment. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I've finished the work that you've called me to do. Or maybe Jesus remembers being 12 years old, sitting in the temple, resolute, listening, learning, growing wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And just maybe Jesus is thinking back. He goes, I finished the work. When did the work start? Preaching? No. Miracles? I don't think so. Supernatural moments? Mm, before that. Started when he was 12. Since I was 12 years old, I've been about my father's business. Since I was 12 years old, I've been going after. I, I, did you not know? I must be about my father's business. Imagine, he's, I finished the work. I st- at 12, I was resolute. I must. Tonight, my dream for you, I want to invite the band to come on up. I don't my dream for you. No goosebumps. No kind of just going with the crowd because someone else goes up. My dream for you is that you would make a commitment to God that says, God, I'm going to tithe my teen years. And I've given you some really practical ways on the how, on what to do. And I've given you just a few stories. But a teenager giving himself completely over to God, tithing all, giving everything. Here's the deal. If you'll do that for these seven years and you make these choices in these years, you make these choices about righteousness, you'll make choices about dating, you'll make choices about how you're gonna spend time with God and know God, you'll make choices about prayer, you'll make choices about holiness, you'll make choices about, you'll make all these choices and for, you'll wake up and on that 20th birthday, you, you, who you are will be on the right trajectory for the rest of your life to be marked by God. The rest of your life. So in these years, I want to invite you to make an extravagant commitment. I know it's over the top. I know. I know it's over the top. I know that it's kind of like Mary Bethany just saying, how much can I give? I know it's offering extravagantly. And you could probably get by with just saying, hey, that's nice. It's a little too extreme for me. Great, okay, fine. But there are some of you in here, there's a fire in your belly 
And you want to live for something. You want to give everything to God. You want to give all. Tonight, I want to invite you. If you want to give, if you want to tie these teen years, you might be 13 or 14, 15. Fine. Let's just talk your teen years. Just pick up where we're at. Even if it's not seven, I'm just using that as a number to tie them. Just start right now, whatever age you are. The rest of them. You go, but David, I've already gone too far. I'm already too messed up. No, 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 no. Start today. Clean start. If that's you, no frills. I'm not even going to have you stand or anything like that. I just, I just want like bold, like, I, don't come forward. Please, please don't come forward if, you're, if this isn't you. I mean, I'm, this is kind of the, the anti-altar call moment. Please do not come forward unless you mean this. You want it. This is your calling. This is who you are. This is how God has called you to live your teen years. If you're tired of your teen years, I invite you to come. Just kneel before God. first and our best seven years we set them apart God through yours we want to know you we want to walk in power and prayer we want to be set apart and God we want to live walking with you on mission I pray right now Lord Jesus supernatural revelation of ideas how to reach cities junior highs high schools evangelistic meetings prayer meetings supernatural miracles signs and wonders giving sacrificially for the hungry providing food for orphans taking the gospel around the world I pray for a generation of leaders mark us 
set us apart. short sometimes, but God, the intention of our heart is to live this way. by making a commitment like this, you're stepping out and you're becoming courageous tonight. The scripture actually says in Proverbs 28 that the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's some of you that tonight, that lion roar is starting to roar up inside of you. There's some of you tonight that this way of living is starting to gross you out and the wholehearted giving everything to God is starting to awaken there's some of you that tonight your commitment to purity is just becoming resolute there's some of you tonight that you're committing to God zero tolerance I will not date my teen years gone there's no point in America Consecrated. I'm not going to mess with, with, with sexuality. I'm not going to mess with immorality, immoral sexuality. I'm just not going to mess with it. I'm not even going to put my toe in. I'm not even going to put myself in the position where I can give myself to total immorality. Or, I just want to be clean, God. I want to be pure. Some of you tonight, that God's giving you a vision of literally how to reach your school. You're getting them. Um, there's a ministry that's being birthed in your heart right now. There's an idea. It's just small. It's embryonic in nature. It's barely evolved. It's just barely there. But it's a tidal wave in the future. Some of you tonight that you've got two or three people you're committed to praying for and seeing them come to know Jesus. You're going to write their name on a sticky note and put it in your Bible and pray for them. You're going to consistently ask God that there would be a breaking point, that they'd become miserable in sin, that they would turn their lives around, that Jesus would save them. Some of you that just a war cry is, is starting to rise up in you. You're starting to see that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is inside of you. And you're starting to believe it. So you're starting to see, literally, I'm, you're starting to have a vision of what, it, what a move of God looks like at your Christian school. What a move of God looks like at your junior high, at your high school. There's some of you tonight that God is speaking to you to break up 
with a boyfriend or girlfriend because tomorrow's a new day. God, we're an army on our knees, God, full surrender. Full surrender, God. It's not emotions. It's not just because we're in Colorado. It's because we've tasted and seen that you're good. And we know that your way far surpasses our way. And so we gladly surrender our lives to to you, knowing that you're a good father that will take care of us in our teen years and that your way is better than the world's way. And so we choose it and we'd rather go that direction than anywhere else. Mark us. Consecrate us. Set us apart. Holy. our hearts like an arrow, even now, God, just right now, we surrender, we surrender all, Jesus, here's a volunteer army, God, take our lives, we gladly surrender them to you, God. resolution tonight I really believe that there will be years of purity because of your resolution tonight I really believe it come God pray for the Holy Spirit to come and give you power and strength. We commit. We need God's grace and 
God's power to live in. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come in power? Fill us with the fullness of your spirit. Help us to live Holy Spirit lives. Come Holy Spirit and fill us completely up. God, give us the strength. Give us the power to walk out what we've committed to tonight, God. God, we align our hearts with your will and we say your kingdom come and your will be done, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the supernatural strength to fulfill this decision, Lord God. God, we want to tie these years. We want to give fully to you. So fill us up tonight. Fill us with your spirit, God. Mark us. Consecrate us. Set us apart, God.